Okay, well, we're on to how Jesus taught the 12. Um, I really, really have fun with this section. I think that it can be uh, a ton of fun for us. Um, it, we do have to be a little careful that it doesn't become too introspective, too self-focused, uh, but we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I think that um, talking about what the Lord has called us to, how he's called us to minister with him in the world is actually meant to be anything but introspective. Um, and, uh, that's kind of part of what we're going to get into. So, um, okay. So let's jump in, uh, to this topic here today. As Christ's body, we are called to model our whole life after him, which includes what we say, how we act and what we believe. Discipling and being discipled is no different than anything else that we do in this regard. Over the last couple of years through Corpus and the community of the church, all of you have been experiencing some form of discipleship. Some of the ways you've been discipled are obvious and some are not, but God is always discipling you. Today, we won't do an overview of the content of discipleship. Instead, we will be spending our time on how you were discipled and how you can disciple others. Oh, I got someone else to let in here. Sorry. There we go. Uh, formula is not a word that we use very often when talking about how Jesus functioned in the world. And I think there's a good reason for that. Uh, it makes it feel maybe a little bit too stagnant to use the word formula. But at the same time, it does become apparent that when Jesus taught the 12 apostles, there was a way uh, that's of the utmost importance. For example, we know that truth matters. We spent the whole year, phase one, giving you a proper understanding of who God is and how he functions. The truth about God matters. At the same time, if we stop there and begin to act as if the truth was all that was necessary, we'd be in a dangerous position. When we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, we see that he taught the truth. But we cannot forget that in Christ, truth is personified. He is the truth. That means that not only what he says, but what he does, how he leads, how he prays, speaks, acts, and even the way he dies is all a part of the truth. Through his life on the earth, he taught us, the church, the way. As the way the truth, and the life. At this point, we need to address something that could end up feeling like a little bit of a difficult switch for some people mentally because of some of the language I'm going to use in this class and in some of the following classes. In this class, we're going to look at how Jesus taught the 12. That means words like leader or leadership may begin to, be, to get used. That's natural and it's right. The reason I want to raise this is because we must understand what we mean when we use that word. Don't allow the way the world defines leader to cloud your judgment. In the world, leader means someone in charge. But in the kingdom, leader is synonymous with mature disciple. 
So I'm going to write that on the board just for you to keep it in mind at the beginning before we get into most of our material. Mature disciple is equal to leader when we talk about this in these classes. So as Christians, we are always disciples of Christ. At the same time, when we become mature disciples, as the scriptures speak of, people around us begin to think of us as leaders. That does not uh, equal a position of authority in the church, a job, a vocation, etc. I'm not speaking about those sorts of things today. So when we're talking about leading, mentoring, discipling, or being a disciple, we're talking about the same thing. And all of us become these people. Oftentimes, these things happen without us knowing it. Someone is watching us, listening to us, or following us spiritually, for good or for bad, and nothing is officially said, but they are following us. We are a leader in that circumstance, and we have to be aware of it. So today, we're going to focus our attention on two things. How to be a leader that brings people under Christ's covering to be trained as disciples, and how to be sure we're continuing as disciples ourselves. As part of the church, we are responsible, at least in part, for the discipleship of others, and how we go about leading others matters. But this is not an additional responsibility on top of being a disciple. It's all a part of the same thing. So this class initiates uh, the final section of our year, as I said at the beginning. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Lord does for us over that time, because I think he has a lot to say to us about what it means to be a mature disciple to be a leader, uh, and everything that that entails. The title of the class reveals that we're going to focus mostly on how Jesus taught the 12. But to reiterate what I said a moment ago, this cannot be separated as a special thing. Yes, the 12 are a set-apart people or group, and he does give certain things to them that were not given to others that were present in Mark 3 when he calls them up as his apostles. Yet, the same way that he teaches them is not different than how he teaches others, and it's not different than how we're meant to be taught today either. Instead, it's an example of how all disciples should be trained. No matter your vocation, whether you are called to be clergy or laity, whether you're called as a business owner or as a service worker or as a teacher or a plumber or whatever it is, when it comes to the way we are called to be disciples and to disciple others, Jesus has laid out this way for us not to ignore and to all receive together. That being said, what I don't want to present to you today is a how-to of massive proportions. If you haven't been able to figure this out yet from the process through corpus and coming to the end of phase two, I love a good system. 
I love taking complicated things or things that don't necessarily feel like they're flowing and put them into an organized, well-structured system for something to flow really well through the entirety of it. I love doing that. But that is not something we can do in this case. What works for me, what works for you, will not work for everyone. And so we have to be careful that we don't make this into just another system, but instead that we can find headings and main points in the way Jesus functions and to move in that direction. Another example is that we cannot say the gospel is and exhaust, exhaust its depths with just a few points or a few words. What Jesus has done and is still doing is immeasurable. That is because he is God. With reason and the wisdom of the Spirit, we can build constructs and ways of thinking that can be help that can be helpful, excuse me. But if we ever want to say that we have it all figured out, or that one statement is the entirety of the truth, and we have this nice little package, God is going to come and likely he's going to break that package apart. So today, as I give you some points on teaching, training, and disciple-making, on being a disciple, these points are not meant to be a neat package that you can then pull out in every circumstance you encounter. Instead, my hope is to give you truths from the life of Christ that he has called us to follow. The different situations and circumstances that Christ will lead you into will be endless. Every person is just different enough that no training, no leading, and no discipling of someone else will look the same. So let's press into the training of Jesus and see what it is that he has done and is doing that we're called to tap into and join with him for the sake of his mission on the earth. So to get started, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to begin a reading in verse 35. We'll read to the end of the chapter. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So this story, uh, this is the story of Jesus' first meeting with five different men. If we were to read this story without having a greater context for it, not knowing who these men would become or who Jesus was, I think that we'd read it as slightly insignificant, at least in its first few verses. I actually believe this is an important thing. The journey of our discipleship begins with Jesus meeting us first in what can often feel like an insignificant way. Again, to see this, you have to disconnect yourself from the story as you know it. Jesus is on a walk. That's what the opening verses of our passage say. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, meaning they were standing on the street, on the road, and he looked and Jesus at Jesus as he walked by and said, Jesus was not coming to talk to John. John and Jesus were not having a meeting that the disciples were going to see some big important interaction between them. Jesus was walking by John. He was out for a walk. He isn't going to them requesting of them that they follow him at least not in these opening verses. He isn't calling to them in the boat yet. He is simply walking down the street. How could you see this for yourself? How could you see this in your daily routine? Your walks and coffees are far more significant than you imagine, maybe. Maybe you are seeing and meeting with those that someday you will call a disciple. Someday you'll call a brother or a sister. The people Jesus is asking you to have an impact on and lead to him may be the people that you see walking down the street in an insignificant way. Maybe, just maybe, you will not hear a voice from heaven saying that you are called to lead and disciple someone, but instead you just chat after church on a Sunday morning. Or he or she that you're talking to is the person serving you coffee downtown at Bread, Milk, and Honey. The story of insignificant beginnings is common in the gospel account of Jesus. In the other Gospels, we, we read that he's born in a manger to unwed parents on a night that in many ways, though the obvious that we know of because we know the bigger story, is like every other. 
a city all around knowing nothing of what is happening in their midst. How do we know it's a night like any other? It's because of that. A whole city can have the birth of the Christ happening in their midst and not even know it. And yet heaven declared, sent angels, speak, spoke through a star of what was going on. What I want to ask you is how often do you think nothing of meeting someone for the first time? How often do you come in contact with someone? Do you walk by someone? Do you say hello to someone in a store or, or getting groceries or down the street? Or does a friend introduce you to an acquaintance that they have that you've never met before and it never crosses your mind that maybe the Lord could be in it? But maybe, just maybe, in those seemingly insignificant meetings, heaven is rumbling with excitement of a relationship that is crucial to God's great story of redemption. Maybe, just maybe, the interactions that you have that seem like they're no big deal, that they're insignificant, that they won't matter to anyone, all of heaven is excited for. Important to note here is where John the Baptist's ministry is likened to ours. You see, the men John the Baptist was with were his disciples. Men that had been following him and walking with him, being trained by him. But John the Baptist knew the time had come to hand them over to Jesus. It was a moment of maturity for those men. They no longer needed someone to teach them in the right direction, but they were ready to take that relationship out on their own. This is a process. You will understand if you consider the relationship between parents and children. We see that at a certain age, a child must decide to make the faith that they've been raised in their own. They begin to follow Jesus now in a new way and a more intentional way. They've matured enough to make those steps forward that you used to have to help them with. Or if you're the child in the scenario, that was what your parents did for you. It's also important to note that this handing off is not just a one-time thing. Once a child is old enough to make their faith their own, it does not mean they stop being in need of more training. In fact, it is my belief that we are always going to be learning from those around us, right until the moment of our death. It's called sanctification, and it's a lifelong journey. And this is what's happening here. They were ready we as leaders will have moments where we will need to let go of those we're training and let them now do it on their own. John the Baptist is a good example for us here. So one of the points is what seems Sorry, I spelled that wrong like three times. Insignificant. 
So John the Baptist had pointed them in the right direction, but they took the step to go and introduce themselves to Jesus. John, as the discipler, was the one doing the initiating in the story. The disciples responded. As a leader, you must realize that you are called to initiate for those that are following you. It does not mean a never-ending chase. It means initiate. Lead so that others may follow. See, the choice to follow is up to the follower. You can't force this, even if you know it would be what's best for them. A disciple must choose to be a disciple. And mature disciples, leaders, know how important that choice is. So they invite the disciple into the choice, but they never try to coerce them to make the decision. So we see in our story that there's an act of initiation and response. Turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to read another passage. <clears throat> What I want to pull out of Mark is that we see some uh, consistencies through John the Baptist. Another way of the initiation uh, is that they are uh, leaders are meant to be intentional. We're going to talk more of that in a bit, but I'll just put it up there now. <clears throat> but the question is, because so far what we've seen is that this is what uh, John the Baptist as a discipler did to help people go to Jesus. The question is, is once people were with Jesus, how did he then continue to train them? Is there similarities here? Is it different? Is the way of Jesus different than the way of John the Baptist? Um, yes, in some ways, uh, definitely. But in these ways, I think we'll see some consistencies. So Mark 1, starting in verse 16, we're just going to read the next four verses. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So we see in this passage, Jesus is passing along the sea. Seeing Simon and Andrew, he calls to them saying, follow me. Jesus initiated and what was their response? They left their nets where they stood and followed him. There was no hesit hesitation in them. James and John responded exactly the same, without hesitation. In God's ways, there are two important things that come up more and more, and we've touched on them already, which is initiation and response. God is the great initiator, and we are the responders. One of Bishop Todd's favorite stories is the story of Elijah and Elisha. 
Uh, he tells this story as often as he can. I think he just, he loves this one. So it comes up a lot. Um, in the story, obviously God initiates towards Elijah as far as we see and Elijah responds. He is wholehearted in his response to God. And then under God's instruction, Elijah then goes and initiates towards Elisha. And we see that the, there is a half-hearted or at least a partial response from Elisha, not wholehearted like it was from Elijah. And Elijah goes to move on thinking, uh, well, you didn't respond as one should, as a disciple should. Elisha sees that he's responded wrongly. We know the story. He burns everything, uh, his ox and his, and his uh, yokes, and, and, and then he goes from there uh, with Elijah. For us, what we can see from this is that to be a discipler and trainer as Jesus was, we must first be a good responder. We must watch our response. We should respond wholehearted like Elijah did, rather than half-hearted like Elisha's first response was. We should and are called to respond like Simon and Andrew, like James and John. Now, there's an important distinction in the New Testament that we see compared to the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha had something he wanted to do before he was willing to follow. When we see the, the story of Mary, one of the things that we're meant to see in Mary uh, as an example to us is her, let it be, let it be unto, unto your servant, uh, according to your will. This idea is that she did not challenge God by saying, let me go do something else first, but that she, she did ask, she clarified, she, she wanted to know what it was she was supposed to do. Um, and even if it was right, did they have the right person in some way? She was unsure, but it wasn't a challenge to, or a, can you delay this because I have more important or something else that I need to do. Instead, her response is one of openness and of submission this response is wholehearted. So then being like Christ, as the disciplers, we must initiate towards others. We should be calling to people, walking, looking for those around us, that the Lord would want to come alongside of us for us to be able to help, to encourage, to move closer to the Lord. And those that will respond are those that God has asked you to disciple. They are those that he has given to you. With this idea of initiation and response in mind, I want, to, uh, I want you guys to ask yourselves a couple questions. Okay? The first is, in what ways are you being unresponsive to the leaders God has given you or to God himself? In what ways are you being unresponsive to the leaders God has given you and to God himself? Secondly, where have you not been taking the initiative to help lead those that God has put in your life? Where is God asking you to lead and to disciple others and you've been unwilling to?
So we don't have time right at this moment to go through those in depth. We're going to do a little bit more of that at the end. But this is at the very heart of the gospel. In order to live out the gospel, you must learn to become an initiator. There were all kinds of people that Jesus initiated to that were unresponsive. But the disciples were good responders. And because of that, they got to see and to be a part of the way of Christ. We often believe that we must first get to a level of spiritual or personal confidence before we lead or act in some way that others could follow. But it's actually the opposite that's true in the gospel. We must instead go and do, which will help build our confidence to grow into a leader in a way that we feel confident in. It isn't enough to just say, take the initiative, though. Jesus did much more than just be intentional with his disciples. So I'm not going to leave you there and say, you just need to take the initiative. And if you'll do that, everything will work out. That's not really how Jesus taught. If we back up to our two texts for a moment, the beginning of John and the beginning of Mark, there have been some scholarly issues with these beginnings because they're different. And if you read them as these are the first meetings and both of them are understood as the first meetings between the disciples and Jesus, then they do read as completely different. Um, but many scholars would say that it's much more likely and all of the, or as far as I know, most of the church fathers, I'll say most because I, I have not read them all, would agree with this. Uh, that, though, that these stories are, in fact, separate stories in a timeline where one happened first and the other one happened later. There, uh, that there were moments the disciples first met Jesus, but they didn't stay with him. So he went to them and he called them again. So what many scholars would say, and again, the church fathers mostly agree that I've read, is that John is the story of the first meeting, that it was from them being disciples of John the Baptist, meeting with Jesus in this moment, then following that, they go back to fishing, and Jesus, walking by the sea, sees these men, of which he spent this night with, and he calls to them to be his disciples. This is why in Mark, they dropped everything when he called, because they know him, only slightly, but they had met him before, through the invitation of their mentor, John the Baptist. And now Jesus was initiating with them himself. So they responded. Just as they did when John the Baptist initiated with them. The disciples were good responders. So we can see in the story of Jesus that it wasn't enough to just have this one moment. What I mean is that there is that the disciples were with him, and at some point they left and went back fishing. So what did he do? He went to them again, and he initiated again. So when Jesus says, come and follow me to them, it says more than we know. The disciples have been told that they're not upper-level people. They're tradesmen. They're not scholars. They're not rabbis. They are not disciples of scholars, even in, in this 
uh, in this culture, in many ways, what they're understood as the, of uh, as excuse me, what they're understood as is those that could not cut it. Fishermen were not at the bottom of the culture, but they were in some ways considered that. Evan, do you have a question? Yeah. Um, yeah. With that, uh, like if it wasn't his first time meeting them in a way, how many times would we assume that he would have gone back? Yeah, or would he have moved question. on to others? That's a good question. Uh, we can't speculate the number, of course, but I think that you're touching on um, this idea of uh, initiate. There's a difference between initiating and coercing or, um, or uh, I don't know what the right word is necessarily, but overdoing it. We can chase people. We can go after them again and again and again. But even at this, it doesn't tell us that Jesus uh, goes to the sea specifically looking for them. Jesus passes by the sea, sees them, and calls them and says, follow me. Now, was there intentionality of being the sea? We can't, we can't know for sure. But at least the text, the gospel writer is not telling us that Jesus was out seeking them out, trying to find them to get them to follow him. The story as he's being told as it's being told is that Jesus, as he's passing by the sea, sees those that he that he knows and he calls them to become disciples. And so I think it's once again this idea of it's a little bit almost similar to the first one, where it's a little bit of an insignificant beginning. Jesus passing by the sea sees Simon and Andrew and calls them. So I think that the question is not necessarily how often do you have to go find someone and call them again? I think that Jesus is always there and open for people to be following him. But at the same time, I think that he is uh, willing to initiate. He just never tries to coerce. And so again, you're going to have to play that out differently with different people. What an initiation looks with one person, you can tell if that person's rejecting any sort of like help that you can give them and they don't want anything to do with it. And you can be uh, chasing them and trying to coerce them to take it. Then someone totally different, it might take five or six times of you initiating with them until they finally go, hey, I'm in. And that was the exact right amount of time. So that's why I say at the beginning, it's not a perfect uh, you know, um, system. It's more of some signposts for us to play out in each individual circumstance. Make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so, um, so but talking once again about uh, the, the call and what it says to the disciples when Jesus calls them. Um, as we can see in the story, Jesus is already known in the area. So when he calls them, they see someone important, someone they think of as important, someone their disciple or their leader has pointed to and said, that's an important person. Him calling them puts value on them. This people that, that don't believe in themselves culturally, I'm not saying that they really were self-depreciating, I don't mean it that way, but in the culture, they were seen as lowly. Jesus goes and sees something different, says something different to them. One of the things he does in discipling others is puts value on those that he's discipling. He speaks value over them. 
Now, people want to be pursued, uh, but there are people that struggle with lies, so we may need to be a little relentless. And again, this is exactly what we were just talking about. When I say relentless, I don't mean coercive. I don't mean even trying to convince. It is continually being willing to initiate. So you initiate with on an ongoing basis. But you're going to have to play that out depending on who it is. What we have to keep in mind when we see relentless on the board and we go, uh, really? That's found, that sounds like that sounds like a pain. It sounds like something that could be really irritating for them. And we get a little, we can be a little worried about all of that. We have to consider that we have been relentlessly pursued by God. Jesus left glory, the glory of heaven to come to us and die for us. What we're learning here is how do we become towards others what Christ has been towards us. Christ is not coercive, but he is relentless. He'll be present when, we're, when we need him. He will initiate consistently. So this also means that we need to be intentional with our time with them. Uh, wow. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm just missing letters in every word I put up here. Now, Jesus, one of the things I find so fascinating about Jesus is that when he wanted a prayer time and didn't want anyone around, he would go away so that he had time alone. When he was with the people, the people had his attention. He gave them his focus. So this also means that for us, we need to be intentional with our time. Let him back in. But it doesn't mean it isn't enough, excuse me, to just be present with them. Sometimes that's what they need. Sometimes it's just our, our physically being present with them, but it's not enough for true discipleship over time. We need to show them that they are um, a focus for us. In other words, put away your phones. That's my big thing for all of you today. That's the number one thing. Put away your phones. Just kidding. Uh, but if you are wanting to lead people and you're constantly distracted, you're constantly torn in five or six different <clears throat> areas, the person sitting in front of you will feel that. <clears throat> now, it's one thing to say, I'm sorry, I have, I'm waiting on something. I'm just going to have to kind of watch my phone. That's one thing. And it's one, and it's another to say you're doing it like once or, 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 you know, twice in, in over a long time together, but it's, it's something different to always be distracted that every time you're with that person, you're not really present. We must not make the time with them about ourselves. We must make it about them. 
We must ask God what he sees in them and what he feels about them and ask him to, rele- to reveal that to us. We must show them that they have a priority to us. Not that we're looking for something from them, but that we're actually looking to give them something. This is what it means to be a discipler. Uh, for anyone that's a parent, this is one of the things that you are always, that you know about parented, but that you always have to wrestle with in some way, is that it would be easy to be a selfish parent. And it would be easy to make everything about yourself and to not really care about the kids and make them serve you in some way. But we know that we also want to give them, uh, to show them that they are a priority and to build them up, not serving them like they are you know, kings and queens. I don't mean that. And I don't mean that about those you're discipling. I mean that those that, that need to know they're a priority to someone, that need value placed on them, that we can read that in the situation and give them that. Okay, so third story, John 13. Just one of the all-time... Well, I can't say it's best, like as if it's better, but I just love this section. Christ just on display in his ministry here, starting in verse one. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them and with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. 
I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one who I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This passage, we read Jesus saying, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. He's revealing to them his servant-hearted way. We don't lead others. We don't step into someone's life to help disciple them to be served. We don't do it for self-fulfillment or to advance our call. We're doing it to serve the people. This is how Christ acts towards us. We should be responding, Jesus, I do this for you, to be like you, to follow you. John 4, 34 says that my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. This means that as a leader and discipler, this is how you will be fed spiritually through being like and following Jesus, who came as the servant of all mankind. So a mature disciple, a leader, is servant-hearted towards the people they're leading. Jesus was willing to show them the full extent he would go, which was to put a towel around his waist and get on his knees and serve others. What's funny is is that that's not even the full extent. He was doing this, and they already wanted to stop him. He was going to go so much further in the cross. He was willing to lay it all down for those that he loved. The people themselves nor the response of the people will be your food or your supply, but God will feed us as we serve him. Go into it knowing that you may, not, that you may have energy drained from you, but it's worship. And because of that, God will support and take care of you. Leading others is not an easy process. It's not something that you will get into and just find so much fun all the time. Being a discipler takes work, takes effort, it takes time. You must actually give of yourself in order to be a discipler. Now, once you've done this with some Uh, Begin to bring them along with you when you do it for more. This is what Jesus did with the disciples. Jesus' model for discipleship is meant to be duplicated by all that follow him. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, took people with him to do the Father's will. We don't need to have a certain level attained. 
We have to just live life in community together and it will be a training ground for them. We call them into our lives. We initiate with them and say, come, follow me. Come, do this life thing with me. Let's see where the Lord leads us. Uh, I've used this uh, example before. One of the greatest examples that some uh, young adult guys were to my son a number of years ago was when they uh, just came and played video games at my house and stayed over one night. They had a sleepover and played video games with him. And he knew that these two people were leaders in the church. In his mind, they were leaders. They served and volunteered. They loved Jesus. And they came and just lived life with him in that way. They had a ton of fun. They talked about real, honest things with him. And it was just out of the blue. They just texted me and said, hey, I was wondering if you'd be okay with us like just having a sleepover at your house and playing video games with your son and you'd be welcome to join us. And I was like, I will join you for part of that. Um, and I knew partially that it, it wouldn't be the same even for my son uh, if, if I was there the entire time, that this was actually a really good example for him to see that some guys that he thinks are just really normal guys in the church love the Lord, care about him, and want to walk with him. It was a great example for him. He's still, you know, not to this day, but recently that's come up again where he went, hey, do you remember when that happened? That was weird, but also really great. This is the sort of thing you call someone into your life. It's not about always doing a Bible study. It's not about always doing something that seems really spiritual. Those are good and you should do those things. Not, I'm not negating those things. But what would it look like if you went and did normal life things, but you also prayed? But you also talked about the Lord, but you also, uh, you know, brought them into you serving other people and caring for other people and helping them learn to care for other people. These are really good and important things to do because it teaches then the person that you're leading to go and do likewise. Additionally, the will of God was never meant to be pursued in isolation. Jesus, from the beginning of his ministry, brought people along, not just in the sense of discipleship, which is what it primarily was with Jesus, but he was establishing a kingdom culture on the earth. And to do that, he knew that one of the key things was that life must be lived in community. The story of redemption does not happen without a group of disciples, without a group of people, without a community. Something that, all, that starts with an ins, what seems to be an insignificant walk in the city grows into a kingdom that has dominion over the entire earth. And so there's, you know, I've read a, a lot on leadership development. I've read a lot on uh, what does it look like to be a leader? How do you train leaders? All of those sorts of things. And there's good and right ways to build a system. This class, I wanted to do something completely different intentionally. And that's because we're at the end or we're coming to the end of a process through Corpus, which is that I want you guys to see what you've become.
not just what you're becoming, what you've become. I want you to see this uh, call up from the Lord into passing on what you've received. Some of you, I know, volunteer for different things in the church. You help with junior youth or senior youth. You, you teach, you, you lead small groups. Uh, some of you minister in, in lots of different ways, whether it's tech or sound or worship, or there's all different sorts of things you can do. What would it look like to live this in your normal life, though? What would it look like to... I mean, we can be outside for walks. There's not a lot we can do right now. I realize everything's difficult. What would it look like on a nice day that someone that you know, that you've connected with barely, that you don't know super well, maybe even, or that you know well enough to know that they need help, they need someone to walk with them, or a young person in the church, someone that you're, you're a decent amount older than, that you know the peril they're going to go through over the next coming years. What would it look like for you to say, hey, it's a nice day out. Do you want to go for a walk? Not have it all figured out, not know what you're going to talk about, not really plan to get into anything major. There's, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's someone that has done this with my daughter, Elin. Um, it, it's unbelievable what I've seen in her life just because someone says, hey, do you want to go for a walk? It's, um, I, I might be giving the idea that maybe uh, this is a regular thing for my kids. This is that one time with Ephraim and this one instance, that's, you know, that's not the norm. It's not like everyone's picking my kids up every day for this sort of thing. Um, but it, it makes it such a massive difference. Even that one off, that was one night Ephraim had with those guys. Never, it never happened again, but it made an impact. What would it look like once a month to find that one nice day out for that you could go for a walk, that you could go do something outside where there is no restrictions, there is no thing that's holding you back. You don't have to worry about all of that stuff and just say, hey, I wonder if I could use this day, not just for myself, but I could pour into somebody. I wonder how this person's doing. Who's the person that comes to mind? Just reach out to them. It doesn't have to be anything beyond that. It could just be a text, a phone call, an email. You see them on a Sunday. Just a really quick, hey, would you want to come do this with me? Uh, one of the best things that happened for me was a leader actually said, hey, I need to go do um, errands. Do you want to come with me? And we actually just did his errands. Like, went to went and sent packages in the mail and picked up stuff from the dry cleaners. And uh, I know we can't do all of those things necessarily currently, but that's the type of stuff I did that honestly led to a major transformation for me. It wasn't a one-on-one -on -one coffee where we really got to our heart stuff. It wasn't, it was what felt like the potential of insignificant things became extremely valuable things. Va valuable moments. So I, I'm, I'm, as you can probably tell, I'm working 
to make this, to help you guys see how not strange this, this can be. It doesn't have to be something completely out of place. It can be something really normal, really easy. Okay, I'm going to put some questions up on the board. Because I want to uh, spend a little time just kind of prayerfully reflecting on what uh, the Lord would say to us around some of these things. So it's kind of in, it's in two sections. Uh, the first is uh, in being a disciple. The first question is, Who are you being discipled by? I want you to actually make a list or write the name if there's one or whatever it might be. Uh, secondly, have you been responding as a disciple should. Meaning like the disciples. Third, are you easy to lead and quick to follow. This third one, if you're not sure how to answer it, or the second or third one, ask the person or the people you write down in number one. That can be scary, I get it. But I think it's really important. If you don't know the answer to it, don't just take that as a way out. Find out the answer. Okay, and then we're going to talk about our questions about discipling others. The first question is, who are you discipling? Once again, write down some names. Uh, secondly, are you being intentional? Uh, actually, sorry, it's a longer question than that. Are you being intentional and initiator being relentless? focused s 
servant-hearted with them. I, I write them all up there because I want you to actually go through that circle and all the words we put up and say, oh, here's an area or two or three that I'm struggling. I'm actually not doing these things in this way. It's not to make you feel bad. I'm not calling, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. Actually, the whole in, uh, point of this is to be honest, to look at it and say, oh, actually I have, I, I am doing these things. I'm not doing these things. And to see how we can, you know, fill some of those gaps. Uh, if the answer is that you're not being any of these things, then how can you rectify that? If you're not being intentional, if you're not being an initiator, if you're not being relentless, or servant-hearted, or focused, how can you rectify that? Okay, so I'm, I want to actually give you guys some time to reflect on these. Is there questions or thoughts, or is there anything you can't read on the board, or anything before I give you some time just in quiet? Um, I'm just going to give you some time, and then I'll come back to you, but I, I want you to take some time to actually think through this. Any questions or thoughts before we give you that time? I'm going to say that's a no, but you're also welcome to jump in at any point and say, Rob, could you clarify this? Or I can't read that, or I'm not sure what to do in this area. Um, it doesn't have to be silent the entire time. So feel free to unmute and jump in if you need to, but I'm going to give you a few minutes. Okay.
Okay, guys. Uh, I'm not going to cut you off as in uh, that's all the time you get for that. Obviously, love it if you um, had the ability to spend some more time on that. Um, a couple of things around around this point, though, I don't have any more to teach on it, but um, I think it's really important for you to not underestimate yourself and how others see you. Um, one of the things that can happen, uh, I believe, spiritually and in spiritual warfare is that, um, you know, the enemy seeks around to um, steal, kill and des destroy. And uh, if you are affecting people's lives for the positive, um, the enemy will want to stop that. Um, and if we have no clue or we have no ability or willingness to see that maybe we are seen in that light um, as a leader or as a benefit to others in their spirituality or any of those things, um, we can often set ourselves up for, for danger and on that front um, because we don't necessarily think that the enemy would ever need to stop us from anything. Um, so self-depreciation, um, self-loathing, any, anything that's a negative uh, way we see ourselves is, is really um, detrimental in this area. And so I just want to speak to that just to say that I, uh, to be careful. Um, if, the, if you've been listening to this and went, wow, this really doesn't apply to me. There's nobody here um, that, I'm, that I'm leading. Um, it's actually just not true. And it's not true in a lot of different ways, uh, whether it's someone in your family, someone you know, in your life that's outside of the church that's been watching the change in you uh, as you've been you know, being discipled over numbers of years. Um, it could be um, young people at church. Maybe someone looks up to you and sees you functioning in some volunteer ministry that they just wish they, they could be a part of. Um, it, there's so many different options that it could be um, that I, I think that it would just be wrong uh, headed of us to consider that, that we aren't seen by someone in some way as a leader. Um, and so, you know, I just encourage you just to don't base all of this on how you feel about yourself. Base this on the reality that God calls us all into ministry with him. He calls us all to be his hands and feet in, uh, on the earth and in the world. So we're all leading in some way. And no matter um, what that looks like or in what ways uh, significant, or maybe even if it's in a small way, it matters. Uh, it's really important. And, uh, and then also to just encourage you that in any way that... Um, you know, if you're saying, I don't actually even know where I could get involved or, or who I could reach out to, or, uh, and you just not, aren't sure, kind of the same way I said to Joanne at the beginning with, you know, you can reach out to someone, uh, send me an email, send, uh, you know, an email to Steven or to Dave or to anyone else really, but um, you can send me a message or Slack or, or an email or some, send me a, a text message or, or whatever to um, start a conversation of, of how could you get involved in a way that would actually be um, as a discipler, as a, as a leader, an intentional discipler, uh, not just by accident that it's happening, but that it would be something you choose to be involved in and, and move forward in and um, see yourself in that way and make some intentional steps forward. Um, so uh, it's quicker class today, but that's really all I have for you. But I, I would really love for you to actually fill those questions out, take some time on them in this week, um, take some time to really reflect. Um, there is no wrong answer to this stuff. Like, it's not like, if you don't know who you're discipling, it's not like, oh, fail, 
no, ask the Lord. If there's still nobody coming to mind, then be intentional of starting that with somebody. Uh, it's not about whether you have it all together and have it right uh, currently. It's about us just moving in the same direction together and beginning to function in the way of Jesus in this area like we seek to in, in many others. Um, so before I go, um, before I let you guys go, is there any questions or thoughts that you guys have uh, that you'd like to ask or any things you'd like to say before, uh, before we sign off? Okay, well, that's just fine. Uh, praying for you guys um, and uh, excited for uh, what the Lord's going to do. I honestly believe uh, if here's, here's the answer to the question. This is the answer to the question of what's, what's life going to look like when you're not in Corpus anymore. Sometimes people start to ask that question of like, oh man, I've been in Corpus for two straight years. What do I do? This is it. This is, this is what life looks like uh, as a mature disciple as we follow the Lord and we give of ourselves to help lead uh, others towards him as well. So um, bless you guys, praying for you. Um, and uh, as I said, reach out if there's any questions or anything that you have um, about any of this stuff, okay? Okay, well, bless you. Have a good week.